0: there, Bosch fans. It's Tracy from the Everybody Counts podcast. We're excited to bring part two of our behind the scenes series for season six to you in this episode. We have an interview with Michael McDonough, ASC. He directed episode four of season six. Uh, Michael describes it as a less action-heavy episode and describes what that entails differently from what you might see in an action heavy episode. He also talks about his collaboration with writer Tom Bernardo. You can also find out what Michael studied before he went to film school at NYU and how he made a very fruitful connection there and how he went from Fear the Walking Dead to Bosch. Michael's also a director of photography on many episodes. So we were able to ask him some questions about the season six finale and filming that at the Jacques Avril house location. We also learn some terminology, like what a tone meeting is. What does that involve? What it means when a writer asks you to let that line land. He also talks about the support and guidance they receive from Mitzi and Tim, the technical consultants on the show and how much they bring to the authenticity of Bosch. So just a lot of great insights, really interesting. I know you will enjoy the interview. Thanks again to Michael. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us on the Everybody Counts podcast. I'm Tracy, and this is one of our longtime listeners, Ann, and really she's an honorary co-host at this point because she's so thank you at helping us with interviews she does such a great job with that so yeah we've been getting so many great referrals I met Tom Bernardo when my family was able to visit the set and Mm -hmm. we got to talking about we had we love rectify and he said you need to interview Patrick and then Patrick said I need to interview Trey and to interview you so I've just gotten so many great referrals so thank you for your time
1: appreciate it no that's great that's
0: great it's great to be here and I mean Ann and I for sure and and really I think we've seen through social media and through the podcast that the fans just love learning about behind the scenes and how it all comes together they just have such an appreciation for the whole product you know not just the story that they see on tv yeah yeah your uh, your input will be very well received I am sure that's great. Let's kick it off with number one. First, we you know we'd love for you to give us a little introduction to you and your work, and let us know if you had like maybe a connection to anyone else on the Bosch team before you landed there. Uh,
1: yeah, my name's Michael McDonough. I'm a cinematographer and transitioning into directing as well. I had started out my kind of creative career as an artist. I went to several art schools from from high school onwards, Glasgow School of Art and the Royal College in London. And I thought that was gonna be my career. I thought a career as a visual artist was what I was gonna be doing. But okay. laterally in that, within that, I was, I was a printmaker. So I was kind of a process-based mm-hmm. artist. I would go through a series of steps to get a finished goal. It wasn't expressive painting or something that's done instantly, drawing. It was a series of technical steps to come to a creative outcome. And I was in Rome for a scholarship year and it's an incredibly cinematic city and I just came to the conclusion that for me film and TV was the greatest art form it it combined it was the most complete art form it combined so many different art forms in one every time you make a Mm -hmm. film or a TV show you're dealing with design and photography acting, music, writing Mm -hmm. all these elements all come together every time you do a film or a TV project so I kind of came to the conclusion those were the things that were moving me most and that was the direction I should move in creatively and I was living in Scotland again after that time and there wasn't an awful lot going on in film or TV at the time. It was the year or two before Trainsporting came out and okay. uh, there was a small industry so and, and since I'd been an artist I had done shows in New York and I had travelled around America and, and I had a sense of what it might be to go to film school Mm-hmm. say, in America, as as a way of getting into film, as a way of broadening my kind of education.
0: Yeah. And
1: I applied to NYU and I got in. And I was doing the graduate film program at NYU. And it's a four-year course. Uh, and one of the interesting things that happened within the first few months is incoming students were usually kind of poached by more senior students to go and help work on their films Mm
0: -hmm.
1: free labor free labor Yeah. um, within that first three months I had never really done film before I'd done some writing and I'd done photography and I'd done art but I'd never really done film before so I didn't know that much about it beyond what I was being taught and as Patrick said the other day loading you know you're taught how to load a camera from the very basics onwards and Mm -hmm. I was just learning that and one of the group of students that asked me to come work on a film and it was going to be in Buffalo New York Patrick was going to be shooting it he was oh, a he was a graduate cool. that year and Patrick Katie was going to be shooting it so I basically known Patrick for getting on 25 years now since oh, I started awesome. school just as he was ending yeah and I learned a huge amount my learning curve was very steep on that first two week project okay um, I learned so much about camera and all the aspects of filmmaking mm-hmm. because it was a very small intimate project yeah and from then on went through film school um had very uh, an important uh, meeting at film school with uh, future collaborator Deborah Grant. She and I were students the same year mm-hmm. we started, and you know we did a lot of exercises together through throughout film school. and basically started I started shooting as a cinematographer with Deborah, her being a director and writer. Mm-hmm. Upon graduating from NYU,
0: wow!
1: And that again has been a sort of twenty-five year collaboration. Mm-hmm. Also, so it was very grounding experience to to go through film school at that time, and I still have close friends and colleagues from that time.
0: Great, great. So did did Patrick was he your connection into Bosch, or did you even know he was working on Bosch? I knew. You- I
1: I believe Patrick. I probably knew he was working on Bosch. I think what had happened prior to that was I remember getting the script for Bosch. I think when they were first starting it around the pilot stage. Okay. And I had said to my agent. I was in the UK at the time, and I'd said to my agent, "Well, are they going to, you know, are they going to put someone up?" And and he said, "No, I think they're going to definitely hire locals." So I kind of put that out of my mind. I went on and did some some other projects, Mm -hmm. and I actually ended up coming back to the US to do a pilot for a TV series called Fear the Walking Dead.
0: Yes, I uh, saw that in your, in your bio. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it was very unlike anything I had done previously, but they were looking for a kind of a reality, a realism to the project. Yeah. And I spoke with the director and the showrunner, the executive producer, and I just thought, you know, these are folks that I would love to spend time with. It sounds like a really great project, and I came out to do that. Okay brought me back to the West Coast, and Mm -hmm. more into a TV realm, whereas I'd been working in features before that. Okay. And then it came around, I think, in the second season of Fear the Walking Dead, I was looking for a cinematographer to do some of the, we do these uh, dual cinematographers where you're prepping while someone else is shooting. Yes. uh, And and Patrick would have explained that. Yeah. Uh, I had asked Patrick to come along uh, in in film school days to do some episodes. Mm -hmm. whatever you were able to do on that show. And simultaneously to that, I remembered Bosch getting in touch all those years ago. And I remembered, oh, I had a script. So it was kind of organized at the end of that season. Okay. uh, Of Fear the Walking Dead, that I would meet up with Peter Umbrugge, the executive producer on Mm -hmm. book. And you know, see if we were all going to get along and if I would step onto <laughs> Bosch uh, yeah. for The Walking Dead. And and it worked out great because it allowed us, myself and my wife, to move up from San Diego, where we were staying, uh-huh. up into Los Angeles, which was kind of the point of moving to the West mm-hmm. Coast in the first place. So
0: yeah, okay.
1: We that jump, but it was through Patrick and through a previous connection to the executive.
0: Yeah,
2: oh, very good good story I like it very interesting it sort of sounds like well first of all it seems like everyone that Tracy talks to and that I've talked to NYU is is like the place mm-hmm. apparently <laughs> so it is it
1: definitely was, a good school It was a great school for making connections with people that you work with for years to come
2: sure. and it sounds like it's a very overall a very small community that it's not unusual for all these connections to come about over the years very naturally mm-hmm.
1: yeah it definitely happens i think one of the you know we many people in the industry have agents and the agents are there and the agencies to, to look out for you and to find you mm-hmm. work for you but oftentimes it comes from just years of personal connections with people that right. you know, throughout the years you know i'm currently living in los angeles but i still know many many filmmakers in um, in new york from mm-hmm. i think I, I, I went for a four-year course and ended up staying 16 years so wow. it,
2: yeah. it,
1: it, one of those things that happen, but over that time you meet a lot of people, you work with a lot of people, and you know you hope in the future that some of those relationships will kick up again and, and you and you'll work with them right. again in the
2: future. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh. That's, that just fascinates me. One of our fellow fans, Kelly Schneider, had a question. She wondered what was the most rewarding aspect of directing on Bosch this season.
1: I'd say the most rewarding part for sure the right to unbox the season is working closer with the actors than ever before. Uh-huh. As a cinematographer, you're working very close to the actors. Your concerns are, where are they in space? How are they lit? How is that working, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally for the character, for the story? How is the action going to play out? How are we going to cover the scene? Right, or good angles for them. There are certain things you think about as a cinematographer or director of photography, which is one and the same thing, in relation to the actors. That they're they're, they're great things, and I've spent many many years, you know, thinking about those things. And you want them to look great, or you want them to look down, and, and you know, when they should be down emotionally in the project. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a there's a great deal of thought goes into how they're looking. And what was so rewarding directing the actors is it's sort of what I would call getting in inside the circle of intimacy. There's, there's a relationship that happens, I think, with the director, the writer, to a degree in television, to a great degree in television, mm-hmm. and the actors, that they create this kind of circle of intimacy, of discussion, of working very closely together in okay. how the characters are gonna move forward. And I think as a cinematographer, you're just a little outside that circle. It's, it's a level once removed from that. Okay. I think what was the most rewarding thing was to step right inside that circle. Yeah. And Basically, your relationship with the actor is, and with the, the the writers and the showrunners who are putting the show together with the intention of the words the actors will say and how they'll say it. That's the most, that's the core aspect.
2: Okay. So well, you're, of you're kind of going from more of a completely visual aspect to one that is more almost like, I want to call it a mind meld, where you're in the characters as well, directing. Is yes,
1: that... exactly. No, I think it's, it's finding the intention intention it's you as a camera person you you look at the writing and there's an intention for how scene right work. and you have a certain task to fulfill to move that forward but definitely with the director you're stepping right inside the thought process mm-hmm. of the actor it's a mm-hmm. much more closely it's it's kind of a guarded thing in many ways it has to be okay All actors have their own process mm-hmm. and you know, it's stepping inside that process to understand it. What can I do? I'm basically the first audience they're going to have for their performance. Right. I'm the first yeah. person to see them. The whole crew are seeing it, but I'm the right. first audience member who can help say something, pose a question that helps maybe move a performance in one way or Mm -hmm. if if it's moving away from an intention that I believe is in the writing, um, then it's pulling it back towards that or it's just enjoying what the actor's doing with it because they understand more than I do Mm -hmm. about what that character would and should be doing. It's kind of this, it's, it's a lovely kind of internal process that that happens just one level inside what everyone else on set is doing.
2: Sure, yeah. That's, that's, and Kelly's, her, the second part of her question was, what was the most challenging scene that you had, that you directed this uh, in episode four?
1: I think in terms of, one of the things I would say about it is, this episode in particular, and, and working with Tom Bernardo the writer who's also a supervising writer and producer on the show which means he actually is there on set every day he sees right. you know, he, he may write one or two episodes but he can see the arc of the whole story he mm-hmm. knows what's happening all through and oftentimes the actors will turn to him because they know that he knows what's happening later right. and that can affect decisions they make right now so I would say that this episode Tom had wrote it in particular and it was a much less action based episode mm-hmm. than many I've done as, as Mm-hmm. We're talking for on the show, or or have seen on the show. Right. Um, it was a much more internal, yeah, character-driven mm-hmm. kind of intimate one-on-one relationship kind of episode. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, that that was. That Was a huge challenge because mm-hmm. there, you know, you had to create a space where it's not so obvious what the action's going to be, but you have to make it interesting mm-hmm. and relationships back and forth between the actors. Yeah, you have to keep that back to the fore. And so, one of the that was definitely you know, one of the biggest challenges was keeping it visually interesting with the shot structure and working with the cinematographer on that, but at the same time, focusing most of my energy 95% of my energy on what the actors were saying, what their intention was, yeah. how their right. relationships were working and you know it was fantastic a few examples, this just prior to and just after I had an absolute fantastic time uh, with Troy and with MC Gainey uh-huh. as retired detective Rogers and, uh, and Barrow
0: yeah. <laughs> and, and
1: their relationship, you know, after all these years how that was coming together mm-hmm. and you know we had going into the scene in Musso and Franks you know they're sitting at a table they're, they're having this discussion, they're thinking about some of the things that have happened to them that have been really, you know, that have put them on edge and and how did they cope with that? And- mm-hmm. You know, it's essentially, MC Ganey is now retired, but remembering back to those times when they were putting their life on the line. Right. And, and how do you get an actor to that space where just sitting there through the words and through their expressions and through how they play it, mm-hmm. they can take the audience right into those moments where their mm-hmm. life are on the line? Mm-hmm. And a, a beautiful thing that illustrates that sense of being inside this the circle of intimacy was at one point in, in discussing a, a line or a reading of a line or, or, or how Troy was thinking about what this line meant. He's, he's like, come here, come over. And he pulled a photograph out of his pocket and he opened it up. And it was a photograph of him as a Marine uh, in uh, Vietnam or a soldier in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just told the story of how his vehicle had been hit uh, by any fire. Some of his colleagues were lost. He survived. And the emotion just came all to the fore. Wow. Now, carrying that photo in his pocket mm-hmm. to, to remind himself of that time, yeah. Exactly the discussion he's having with Lindsay yeah. in the scene with Rogers, Detective Rogers in the scene about when their car was, sh- his, mm-hmm. his colleague's car was showed up. Yeah.
0: right. How
1: did that make you feel? Well, he has this memory of how he felt. At right
0: there. Time. Yeah.
1: I just thought that was an absolute wonderful moment. And, and to be brought into that was a real gift. That's fascinating. Uh, And then, you know, we step outside and here's another challenge. It's not a huge action Mm -hmm. episode, but MC Ganey has to have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's walking down the street. It's a hard uh, sidewalk. We rehearse, we discuss between the actors and uh, Alex Daniels, the stunt coordinator. Mm -hmm. How should this happen safely? And what could we do? How can we break the shots down? So that the sequence, they're walking and talking and having dialogue. Uh, MC Ganey starts to have this you know, in- incident this heart attack begins and, and he's gonna fall. And-, and it was one of the more challenging things is to do that safely, to do that safely with any actor. Sure. Um, uh-huh. He or she, we have to get their comfort level within yeah. the acting we have to rehearse it and we have to understand that how it plays has to be real but it also has to be safe yeah. and, you know and how we film that is and, and it is it seems very simple but it is it is a challenge we also have a you know a medic on set who's mm-hmm. you know this is their field of expertise also and mm-hmm. you know, to them for guidance on is this how it plays is this is is this how it, how it feels i have on set many years ago, uh, been party to the aftermath of that. We all stood around. Well, someone was revived, uh, at oh. an instant on set. So I'm aware of the aftermath emotion, but we, you're relying on experts around you. Uh, right stunt coordinators stunt people and medical staff to make sure that well, what you're doing is realistic which is so important for Bosch that mm-hmm. the, the realism is to the fore
2: yeah well watching it, it it wasn't a particularly long scene that part of it but there was so much in it that that sort of gave you that feeling like there was one little tiny moment where you could see MC Ganey's um, heads almost in profile and there was sweat yeah. dripping mm-hmm. off of him and and that to me was like, oh, my God, this is this something terrible is about to happen. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's, a, it's so impressive how
0: there was this sense of foreboding. You didn't know exactly what was going to happen. You thought maybe he didn't feel well, you know, but not exactly what was going on. But it definitely right. felt this sense of, of foreboding. And sure enough, that's that's what happened. And I think that's really just amazing to me how, in Bosch, you guys do such a great job of even when they're not action sequences, they're very engaging. They really capture the viewers' Absolutely. attention completely. So.
1: Absolutely, but it, you know, it's in the detail. It's it's in the writing. Going back to this, just the prior scene in this one, Frank's where he's like, you know, you turn yeah. up the AV, turn the, the, turn like the air, air, yeah. Like, It it builds, it builds. We come outside and make up the apartment, they Uh spritz some water on the actor and maybe we try some more and try some more. And you just get sometimes get those magic moments of that drip just yeah. happening in focus just at that moment mm-hmm. and you actually you look back and the dailies are basically all the shots that you've shot for a scene and you look at those afterwards and mm-hmm. we, we're moving on and we're filming and we're shooting the next day's scenes but by then the editor's looking at right, the right. scene and those shots and they're starting to edit and we absolutely looked at the dailies and said that moment the drip is the center of the scene everything mm-hmm for it and everything else right it ties it together moment. yeah let's take that moment and let's work backwards and let's work forwards and let's make perfect the scene.
2: yeah very. sometimes it seems like there's a lot of there can be a lot of sort of what I would call serendipity in in these these moments that you're not necessarily expecting them but they happen and mm-hmm. then when they do they work
0: right well absolutely you and
2: know, being art. able to
0: notice them and see them and that to me that's where the art form comes in you recognize that the importance of it and the the value of it but you talked some about the, the collaboration with Tom who wrote this episode. So we wanted to understand a little bit more about what that was like between director and writer, that sort of, you know, partnership or, or however you would call it. And then we were hoping to get some sort of inside scoop on that dream scene because that's like nothing we've ever seen on Bosch before. And I know Anne in particular was curious about seeing Beryl in that scene. And I know how I interpret it and she knows how she interpreted it, but it'd just be really fun to get it from your perspective.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I think there's there's two scales to it in a sense. And I could talk a little bit later about how there's the tone meeting, the, the tone mm-hmm. of the show, okay. um, how you keep a consistency throughout a series and throughout a show with different Mm -hmm. people coming in. Um, We'd have a thing called a Tone Meeting, which is working from the the major writer down, the the showrunner, executive producer, writer, through the writer of an individual episode, and through the core crew people who are gonna work on that, you would have a discussion. What does this all mean? Where where should we be trying to go with everything? Mm -hmm. But more specifically on a day-to-day basis, working with someone like Tom, and it was great that this was, I was getting to direct Tom's script, The level of detail that we were able to sit down and discuss line by line, page Mm -hmm. by page, just going through and from my instincts and my reading of it, sometimes it would be right on and sometimes they're a little askew from maybe where a character is going further down because I don't know, as the director for that episode, I don't know quite where certain storylines are going. Okay. and right. so you're working really closely with the writer of the episode with a supervising writer and with the showrunner to understand all of the characters motivations and all the storylines and where they're going and you know not give too much away but give enough away that you're you're keeping the intention going you're keeping the interest in that moment mm-hmm. you know, there, there would be a thing that you might have a note in the script that says this line la- this line should land let this line land okay and that, that kind of means this line's important. It, it, it's this this aspect can come up again that, or in a future time we we'll, we'll want to remember back to this line being important so mm-hmm. letting it land is just giving it some emphasis it's putting okay. it some space
2: mm-hmm. that it's
1: not getting swallowed up with other lines, that it's an important oh. line is it's an right. important point, that it's an important beat. So those would be the kind of things that I'd go through with the writer, establishing where the important beats in the scene are, mm-hmm. the lines that must land that, that, that ha- we have to give emphasis to and where transitions would happen from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. And so all of that would be stuff that we would discuss beforehand.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, very, very interesting. Well, what can you tell us about that? I, it's more of a nightmare sequence <laughs> than a, you know, a dream. It's, it's pretty scary. Can you give it, us any inside scoop on that? Uh,
1: absolutely. I think, you know, it's interesting also in season... Five, I believe there were some flashbacks, which were also. Mm-hmm. There's been some flashbacks and some yeah. dream sequences. There's been a couple before, and we worked on mm-hmm. some black and white in season five, and I believe Tom uh, had written some of that in as well. And coming into season six, and this desire to do this dream sequence, an awful lot of what appears to be happening is, is Harry Bosch keeps a lot of stuff inside him. Right. So, you know, and it, it's been it was a great challenge it was one of the great desires to put this dream sequence in because it's trying to it's tapping into the subconscious Mm -hmm. of of Harry Bosch and trying to bring some of that out to the fore and so it was one of the aspects that was written in right away and stayed through multiple drafts was that we would you know we would work towards a a dream sequence and I was Mm -hmm. very excited by it because as you say it's not a it's not a common trope sometimes Mm -hmm. you'll have these throughout a series and it's a way that you know it's a way that we get the inner life of the Mm -hmm. cat Um, it's definitely not a trope within Bosch and so So it was going to be something quite unique and, and, it was, it was exciting. I was able to go and look at some visual ideas of how it might play, how it might play differently. You know, we made a little a, a board, a visual board on the wall that was just maybe specific to that dream sequence because, mm-hmm. you know, in discussing with Tom and Eric, it was also important that it kind of came out of something it, you weren't quite sure as you came yes. in yes. that <laughs> this is exactly what's happening.
0: Yes, right? okay. Yes. And that
1: speaks a little bit to also the sense of having Troy in there you mm-hmm. know, he- mm-hmm. okay Barrel then yep. this scene because if you think about it prior to this and the scenes prior to it Bosch, he knows that Detective Rogers has had an incident he's had a heart attack he's in hospital he survived mm-hmm. the heart attack but he's in hospital he sees Barrel in the station and Barrel says you should go visit him mm-hmm. because knowing that Rogers right. and Bosch have history, that he, they were partners yeah. mm-hmm. because Bosch is an upcoming detective. Uh, Rogers was his partner. So there's, there's a lot of history there. Mm-hmm. So you kind of seeded the idea already that this is something Bosch should be thinking about. It's something mm-hmm. that would be in the back of his mind. Right, and he he said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll go see him." And he goes home, and he's he's now in this internal space again, where he just can't shake off this Daisy Clayton right. And he and he's looking through it. And we wanted to make a transition there that goes from he's looking through this case to is he now going to the hospital to visit Rogers? Where is he? It's kind of it comes in in a kind of yeah. normal visual. You mm-hmm. come out of one scene in his apartment, and you come into what is he comes around a corner, and it's a relatively normal visual. Right, and is he there to see Rogers? And then wait a minute minute well who's this who's he looking at and we see barrel at the end of, of the hallway but he, yeah. it, he he doesn't look comfortable he looks uncomfortable mm-hmm. in fact. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're starting to think what's is, is this bad news that's coming? And then you don't really get clued into the fact you're in any kind of dream until the lights start to flicker. Yeah,
2: right, exactly. Like
1: the world kind of gets turned upside down yeah. and you know you're in a different kind of space in that moment. Mm-hmm. And you're starting, I think at that moment, even just before you get the color changes with Troy, it starts to become more monochromatic.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: just then, before you go into the black and white world, I, I believe you think you're in something different here. You're yes. in a subconscious like,
0: world. Mm-hmm, for sure. And
1: then inside the room and there's just these stark, images of the subconscious Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that was so well done it was chilling yeah and i loved that transition of wait this is not real because you know you got me i was like oh yeah he's going to the hospital yeah it's just so seamless yeah
1: and you know working and again in the script here, working with you know uh, harry's own anxieties Mm -hmm. replaced that with the daisy clayton murder yeah, it's a young, a young the death of a young woman, and where are those anxieties going to go? Where they've always gone? Yeah, uh, in the last few years, is Bosch warning about his own daughter? Of course,
0: yeah, yeah. You
1: no, know, and that's what comes up in that last image. Yeah, you know, that's where his anxiety. It's probably a huge knot in his stomach. And yeah, it's coming out. Sure. In, so
0: mm-hmm. Very, very, very well done. Well, from being the, the DP, I guess on episode 10, we had some really chilling moments there in Avril's house at the end, just the whole sequence of tracking him down. But specifically, I know my son and I were really just fascinated with that image of him with his arms above his head and the, the lighting of it and seeing the smile on his face. And it was just really chilling, you know, and you didn't know what was going to happen. And then, of course, we saw a different version of the events. But each time, and there was that really chilling, almost like a horror film aspect to it. What can you tell me about shooting that? Well,
1: again, it's you know you, you're working all through the season, you're creating this character of Jacques Avril who appears to be you know outside the law, above the law. The I.A. operative, he's he's this, he's that, and J. Edgar, you know, has has many many reasons to track him down and bring him to justice. Mm-hmm. And we we work through the season, we get to the end, we have this house where Jacques Avril works, and. Putting on my DP hat at the stage, it was uh, Ernest Dickerson who I had, mm-hmm. had the pleasure of doing several episodes with on Bosch. I think okay. between Ernest and Alex Zeljescu, uh, they have done oh. you know about a third or more of all the episodes of Bosch. Wow over okay. the years and mm-hmm. they're both very visual they're actually both XDPs themselves Okay. cinematographers and so they're, they're, they're wonderful to work with um, we have this house that we're going to work at but specific to my DP hat there, there are huge challenges to it it's up in the hills it's a bungalow I would say it's like kind of that wraps it a one story house that wraps around a swimming pool mm-hmm. but on the far side of the swimming pool side where much of the action is going to take place and where we can see into windows all around the house it falls away on a hill, mm-hmm. and we're going to be shooting a scene at night. So there's literally, and there are all these houses down the hill. There's no way of getting any light from the obvious side that you would normally light a scene, especially okay. for you have to get some large lights and you put them up and you create a sense of moonlight or something. But mm-hmm. they have to be very high in the sky to be editing. okay. And you usually use we call them condors. They're, they're cherry pickers. They're big mechanical industrial items that go high in the sky,
0: 120 okay. feet
1: sometimes. And you attach your lights to those. But there was no way to access the shooting part of the set easily Mm -hmm. and what we did have was a large driveway out front in front of some uh, garages yeah so we had to create a lighting plan using a 120 foot condor but instead of going straight up into the sky it was kind of angled over to the point where it couldn't be angled over anymore safely and we extended it out from the front side of the house to the back side of the house and we created a kind of moon a large ball of light yeah extended above the swimming pool very dim but Mm -hmm. still even and filling the whole backyard and Coming into the house, and that was basically that was a, a, a big technical challenge to get that scene lit for night. Okay. Uh, like and it. then that that helps us with Jamie, uh, with Jay Edgar approaching the house, moving through the pool area, and then once he's inside the house, then we're we're inside the house with the camera, with the characters, and we're lighting from outside uh-huh. to create just enough just enough light
0: mm-hmm. that the
1: audience can see something's happening. Right. But not too much light that it takes all the mystery away because that whole lead up. You yeah. is is full is full of mystery it's full of cat and mouse
0: mm-hmm.
1: and interestingly it's very similar to in 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 feel to what i think for me as a dp was the biggest challenges uh, of all the work I've done on Bosch was in season five, where uh, it starts with T-Bone car crash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right at the start outside mm-hmm. the pharmacy. On that one episode, that was three days of filming where we closed the street and we
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay. safely rehearsed the, the crash and and moving through that. And then the going inside the pharmacy uh, mm-hmm. with the raid when they raid the pharmacy. Yeah. So that would be a complete opposite to myself and Tom's episode four of season yeah. six. which is. Right. The, Eternal character-driven piece. That's
0: exactly
1: a big, yeah. And throughout that season, we step through these big action sequences. Mm-hmm. I think we had in episode four, we have the, the the flashback in black and white when a young Harry Bosch is mm-hmm. speaking to the parents of, of a, it, letting the parents know that the daughter has been found. Oh
0: yes, yes, Skyler. Right.
1: Yeah. Skyler's been found. The Skyler case, and we pull out of the window in one shot using a crane. It was mm-hmm. an eight- when we come back and we transition from black and white to color and pan yeah. around, and lo and behold, in color here is Harry Bosch sitting in, in his car, in, his car yeah. in the present day, thinking back and reflecting on this conversation he had mm-hmm. with his parents all these years before. So, there's, I think we've been kind of building up to that dream sequence.
0: Yeah, you
1: know, through through sense. storylines, uh, we go into episode eight of season five, and there's the whole plane sequence. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> And that was a, that was a big chat That was a huge challenge in terms of tech, technically and how we achieved that. And, you know, on a show of, of our size and scale, it was, a, you know, a lot of effort and funding went into creating mm-hmm. that sequence, including building a gimbal that could take 30 tons that could move a structure yeah. and putting a building, you know, the art department, uh, Chester Kaczynski built a beautiful interior of a plane, of the actual plane. Mm-hmm. So we filmed the XD Resolve where the action could take place, that sat on the gimbal. We lit it in the sound stage with a sunlight moving around and, you know, we filmed for two days to create that sequence of how and ended Those yeah. challenges throughout the season build up to this final sequence, which is oh. at night mm-hmm. in the Bosch House, another place that isn't easy to film in.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> and it's at night. And we have the characters come back to hunt Bosch down right. and then mm-hmm. sequence through the house. And again, there were I'm grateful and really glad that I got to work on that episode and then follow through into Sure. And and, and actually Ernest directed both as well. Okay. Um, and you know, the challenges of those and how to keep them interesting and how to keep them exciting. Yeah. And keep them real. yeah, um, yeah it's been I've been grateful to to work through both those roles. Sure.
0: I think that's interesting yeah. how you talked about because we don't you know we don't think about it as viewers but that we need to see what's going on and or, and understand what's going on but we still want the darkness and the eeriness of it all and how you manage to sort of balance that is, is really cool so when when we do see that bright light on Avril's face is I'm guessing that's supposed to be kind of like J. Edgar's flashlight you know, on him. Where did you actually light that from? Above, below, or how does how did that work?
1: It was actually a flashlight. These days, really? flashlights are, they can be incredibly powerful. Okay. would uh, use an actual, in the scene, mm-hmm. and the intention is that it's J. Edgar, comes around the corner, he turns on his flashlight, he lights his yeah. face,
0: uh-huh. and,
1: I believe the camera operator actually was holding the flashlight right oh, next to the okay. Okay. Wow. one hand on the camera and yeah. one hand on the flashlight
0: oh, Okay.
1: Um, if that's not the case it might have been a, the gaffer the head electrician uh-huh. okay. but I, in my in my mind I seem to remember the camera operator himself was holding the flashlight in that sequence
0: uh-huh. wow I, I would never it's know very effective the flashlight itself you alone could, could do that it was very effective yeah
2: yeah very <laughs>
0: very cool well i think and you have a question from mike
2: right i did mike martini who's who's another big fan and and you've kind of touched on this a little bit he was curious how you transition episodes because you're not you're not the same director isn't doing all of them so he wondered how how that worked exactly and he marvels at the seamless transition yeah. There's no like, oh, this is a completely different thing than the last one. Yeah. And I had wondered, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, whether there's some sort of general sort of meeting of the minds at the beginning of a season so that everybody kind of knows where you're going and how this is all going to work. So.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question. And it is absolutely correct. You know, you th- if you think season to season, a consistency is kept by the executive producers, the writers. and You know, cinematographers, directors of photography who would stay on season after season, crew members who would stay on season after season, makeup, costume, production designer. A lot of these elements are consistent and move through. And even as the seasons and the storylines adjust a little one year might be very noirish; that might be mm-hmm. the feeling and another year might be you know something different it might be a little more excitement or movement there's usually some kind of visual element or trope that runs through each season yeah, right. even though there's an overall and it might adjust a little as seasons go by but there's an overall feeling that this is the show this is how the show looks so there are many people tasked with keeping that, that consistency and, and how it works day to day would be the writer begin writing and decide this is what's going to happen this season Uh, Petey Ambroka is an executive producer but a very visually oriented executive producer Uh talked to myself and Patrick about here's some of the things that we're going to be touching on and let's discuss how this might look visually so the fact that they're myself and Patrick, alternate throughout the season, we help keep that consistency. And we have Uh a wonderful crew that know what the show should look like and they help keep that consistency. But obviously the director coming in, the directors are there preeminently to tell the story. And they come in. And what we would try and do is there would be a tone meeting where the director even if they've done the show many many times there would still always be a tone meeting because there are little mm-hmm. things that are specific to the telling of the story this particular season that those directors might not on one or two or three or four readings even glean from the script because they don't mm-hmm. quite know what's coming up later right? and they may not have directed mm-hmm. what had come before so the consistency is really helped by the, in this case Eric Overmyer, the showrunner uh, Dan Pine executive producer writer the writer of the episode, all sitting down around the table and saying, here's the intention for this scene. And it really helps the director get their feet under the table, understand, you know, where things might be going beyond their episode, and understand a lot of elements of how these things should play out successfully. Again, like I said before, certain things need to land. Those are the things yeah. that would come out in the tone meeting. This is important that we know this and we see this. So the directors have, of course, all the power in the world to go through the script and break it down and work out how these elements are going to play through and how they're going to discuss with the actors how to how to bring this out and how to move it forward in okay. performance. But there are definitely very many layers of support around them mm-hmm. to help support the visual aspect of it, to keep that consistent. Okay. And of course, they, in, in many ways, no one knows the part better than the actor playing that part because they sure. play it for No one knows Harry Bosch right. better than... than Titus Welliver. Mm-hmm. And the same for all the actors because they played it year after year.
0: Right, right. And
1: so, again, there there's an element where the intention of the scene as written is there to be discussed with the actors and all together, let's move in the one direction and let's move okay. forward. And yeah. let's find out what's the best way to do this? within the intention of the show without stepping outside of it too far
2: yeah yeah. wow there's just so many moving parts I just it's just a lot of collaboration sort of mind boggling really yeah, yeah very
0: cool sure
1: well, there's a lot of work that goes into
2: it we're always
0: fascinated to, to learn how Mitzi Roberts and Tim Marsha are involved in some of the scenes so I didn't know as a director or as DP if there are certain scenes that come to mind that they were more involved with than others maybe for you this season
1: oh absolutely I mean any time in a involves police work, they would be consulted sure but again one of the preeminent things about the show is the reality and, mm-hmm. and the realism of um of um of what we're doing to the point where i think patrick talked about oh, it'd be great for a camera person to have some windows in here but there <laughs> yeah, aren't yeah. real space right. and we live with that because yeah it's real mm-hmm. and it's the same with everything every piece of police work and procedure uh we would run it by Tim and mitzi and okay. to a great degree we would go with the reality of the situation sometimes you have to bend it a little you have to 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 Mm -hmm. adjust a little for dramatic purposes or practicalities reasons. But where humanly possible, working uh, with those two guys, they're they're amazing at what they do and their knowledge of of, um, detective work and, and science and forensics. And so basically, as we go through the script, we highlight every element that we think that they would have an opinion on or okay. how is this going to be done correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd have a meeting, we'd have several meetings where we sit down with them and almost every department, if you can think of the props department, yeah. and then the makeup department, the wardrobe department, the camera department, lighting department often, every single department has questions of of Tim and Mitzi so that we can yeah. keep the veracity of what we're doing. And yeah. we would have several meetings throughout. If an episode takes seven days to prep and eight days to shoot, throughout that seven days, we'd have multiple meetings with with Tim and Mitzi, mm-hmm. and they would be at the final production meeting before we start filming. Okay. And any questions related to, you know, police work or the veracity of uh, of what we're seeing on camera, and it goes from uniforms to vehicles to the way back, uh, you know, uh, background artists who, who might be coming out of a building dressed uh-huh. in a hazmat suit. Uh huh. We check with those guys. Okay. Is this how? Is this what they would be wearing? Is right. this what we'd do? Sometimes is this what they would say? You know, mm-hmm. in every aspect. The writers all check in with them and make sure everything they're writing has some kind of authenticity to it okay Uh, and so they're absolutely crucial what was lovely for me is i I often have very technical questions for them Mm -hmm. you know it could be to do with something i'm trying to light. how how would this scene look at night in reality hillside if you find a murder victim and i need to know that for lighting or for how the camera might move
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: but once i stepped into the director's seat you know the the questions just multiply you know (laughs)
0: But it's absolutely
1: <laughs> yeah. the hardest job in filmmaking. You know, if, you're, if I'm used to talking to 20 people in two or three different departments throughout an episode as a, direct, as a director of photography, suddenly as mm-hmm. a director, I'm talking to 100 people in every department and fielding questions from them. It's, it's an extraordinarily difficult job where you have to hold a huge amount of information in your head at any one time. Yeah. Um, and that is even outside of dealing with the actors and dealing with performance. So experts like Tim and Mitzi are fantastic for going to for all of those details sure. to sure what we're doing is believable yeah. and uh, you know, you can stand behind it and say this is, you know, this is what would happen when a detective yeah. walks onto a scene, some kind of crime scene or or, or any aspect in the office, and the station, there's a great deal of authenticity to it and, and those guys sure. are are, cru- are crucial to that, you know. Yeah. And, and they're, they're great sources of information in terms of visuals. They, they, they you know, they'll, 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 they share so much information with you. and They're crucial yeah. to the to the process. Well,
2: I, I think it speaks to the authenticity that you hear from so many in law enforcement who normally, when they watch a police procedural, are like, oh, that would never happen or, you know, that, you know, that's, that just doesn't work that way. And yeah. you hear them saying it's the only police the procedural they want where it's just it's just so credible and so authentic yeah absolutely
1: and it, it works down and it trickles doesn't trickle down it, it moves through you know Tim and Mitzi into the the actors themselves that mm-hmm. every single actor wants to do exactly the right thing that mm-hmm. their character that a detective yeah. that a uni would be doing a lawyer you know even down to the district attorney and you know there's sure. low, you know we, we rely on them for so much information for courtroom scenes for all kinds of scenes and you know all of the actors just absorb that information they love it because it gives them so much kind of power in their character to know that what they're doing is correct you know i it it speaks to simple things like i was very aware that Again, with the lack of action in our story, a lot of it had to be told in very simple ways and, and mm-hmm. with looks and gestures and thoughts. And so a, a great example of that level of detail coming down from Tim and Mitzi would uh-huh. be when Tyrus is, is working in the, the task force room. And he's. we put a, li- a lot of effort with the art department and the props department into creating these two stories, the stories of everything that's happened in the episode mm-hmm. of- now all of the crime elements that are all put together these photographs on the board right. and we went to great lengths and detail to make sure that's exactly how detectives would set out one of these boards okay and then titus has this genius ability to bring to play with his eyes you mm-hmm. know, he, half, the first half of the scene where he's figuring out as a detective would what is happening here what am i looking at what's the story it's different yeah what is different? Yeah, is he's he's playing that with his eyes, and he plays it sure. brilliantly. It's something he's. It's been a great. It's been a great strength of his throughout the series mm-hmm. is his ability to show an audience how a detective works mm-hmm. through his eyes, through his thought process, without ever saying a word. Yeah, and then the second half of the scene, he beautifully plays with uh, Jamie, with J. Edgar, how he's going to convince. How he's going to convince his detective partner that these are this is what I think is happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so at the same time he does it beautifully to convince the audience. He takes you right into his detective process Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with his with his dialogue back and forth. Jamie plays it beautifully as well. Sure. and it's yeah. those kinds of scenes that in a non-action context it's really important to move the story forward and it's yeah. really important that it's played without it feeling expositional that it feels right. like this natural yeah. series of steps that these detectives would take
2: yeah yeah well I, I think that's one to. of the one of the things that I've always liked about this show is that it's not afraid of the quiet it's not yeah. afraid of, of, of a base mm-hmm. and and I think a lot of the actors themselves are so good at what I call micro expression that nobody's saying anything and there's no nothing major happening in the way of action but Mm -hmm. just little tiny changes as you say in Titus's eyes or just it's the physicality you know of of
1: it, that's mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you're absolutely right there. And I think it comes from, it starts with the writing. Oftentimes there's a little note in the page off of Bosch or off of someone, off of Billets, off of J. Edgar. We know that we're gonna be in their world, their thought process in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then it comes down to the actors pulling yeah. that off from the set. And then it comes down to great editors who've been with the show for a long time. Sure. Kevin K edited my episode. They're all fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for those moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. for those moments of pause. I would know? think
0: it's such a vulnerable position to be in as an actor. Obviously they're experts at it but you know I would feel so uncomfortable someone you know just watching my facial expressions as I think something through but it, it doesn't look awkward at all. I mean obviously again, they're professionals but it's just it's really impressive to me that it, it doesn't look awkward. At all when they're just thinking things through and so forth. Yeah,
1: no, and I think that comes down to they're really living their characters. They've been
0: they've yeah been yeah.
1: the season after season they've helped it develop and they know what that character would be doing in any given situation. And 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 if not, if it's a completely new situation, they they've got all this experience to, to, to draw bring, from. Yeah, know, right. draw from from yeah from the work from previous work to, to mm-hmm. bring that out and bring mm-hmm. it out in an interesting way. It's amazing how how, how new. You know, each season it sort of reinvents itself in a way. Mm -hmm. and, And you'll find new interesting things that that the characters are doing, that they're yeah. always looking you know, to find something for themselves to yeah. to work with and to work against.
0: Well speaking of reinvention, I, I think Anne had a question about maybe about season seven and assignments, but I imagine everything is sort of up in the air or being maybe your procedures and timeline has been modified. But didn't you Ann, weren't you curious about when they make assignments for directors for episodes?
2: Oh, yeah, I didn't know whether that was something how how that works exactly. Like how um I'm assuming that that's something the showrunner is primarily di- directing, so to speak, that he has a vision for for who he wants to direct. I, I don't really know how that works. And when Absolutely. you would yeah. find out about that normally. like
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone's upcoming seasons are going to be something new so mm-hmm. th- it's all going to be no matter how processes worked before we're going to have to find new ways of doing things but previous mm-hmm. yes you would want to lock in before a season starts you would want to to the greatest degree possible lock in the series of directors who are going to be working that season okay you know and there can be some returning directors and there mm-hmm. can be can be new directors coming in the executive producers would want to have that decision-made you know right Mm -hmm. at the start and know you know uh, because as you know there's a huge amount of scheduling and planning goes into i
0: can't imagine yeah
1: (laughs) the the calendar starts and probably April and you're still okay. doing posts almost up until the fo- I mean it's a year round for one season it's a year round calendar of wow. something's happening at some time Somebody's well and part- I guess
2: you have to work around things like you like they may want a particular director but it all hinges on whether that director is available in that whatever that time frame
1: it, is exactly because especially in a TV world you know most directors are, or all directors their hope would be that they're working on different episodes mm-hmm. of different shows and, and, okay, and yeah. so they're going to schedule out year so it's very much it's like the same with the cast with the crew with the directors it's trying to map out the whole season it's what it's what allows the producers to sleep at night is knowing (laughs) they have
0: everything lined up yeah yeah awesome well this has been so informative so enlightening so fascinating i mean just all those words it just like i said the the bosch fans i think just especially do appreciate these insights that you can only you and you know others in your position can give to us so it's it's like
2: especially because most of us who are big fans of the show are watching it again and again and again
0: there is a lot of repeat watching
2: um, having these conversations with someone like you or listening to Patrick and we talk to Trey Batchelor I I don't know that i I don't think I watch television the same way I used to anymore. Right. There's other yeah. stuff kind of going on in the back of my head as yeah. I'm watching. Yeah. Which again des- is the amazing thing to me
0: is that it does not distract me no, when I'm it watching. Totally. It just makes it a richer experience. Yeah. And, I, I, think and I think that's really it, important. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Experience is uh is it would be a great way to describe it, you know, looking just looking for those little details and Mm-hmm. things that you don't see you know you don't see on a first uh, on a first viewing
0: yeah yeah the more you know <laughs> exactly well, thank you so much we really thank do appreciate you. your time right. and, and generosity and talking with us all
1: right be well guys thanks bye
0: bye,
2: bye.